Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening, children of the night. Hurry on into the cabin. We've got a couple stories for you tonight. Settle in. Put your feet up. We have two more of the stories that were nominated for this past Stoker Awards for Superior Achievement in Short Fiction. And next week we will have a slightly longer show with the two stories that managed to tie for the win. First up, John Palisano. We've heard from John a few times over the years, and he and I are Twitter pals as well, so it was nice to see his name on this list. John Palisano is a writer whose nonfiction has appeared in Fangoria and Dark Discoveries magazines. He's been nominated for the Bram Stoker Award three times. His first novel from Samhain Publishing, Dust of the Dead, will be released in June 2015. Ghost Heart comes out February 2nd, 2016. John Palisano's short stories have appeared in anthologies from P.S. Publishing, Terror Tales, Lovecraft Ezine, Horror Library, Bizarro Pulp Written Backwards, Dark Continents, Dark Scribe, Dark Fuse, Dark House, and more. His novel, Nerves, was put out by Bad Moon Books and promptly placed in the What the Hell category is this section of Amazon. John writes all the time, but does his best not to look at the word counter until it's absolutely necessary, lest he have a flashback of glimpsing the abyss like he did during a mandatory high school calculus class. Google it. It happens. While you're hunched over your phone, look up John on Facebook and Twitter. The story that found his nominee this time is Splinterette, originally found in Widowmakers, a benefit anthology of dark fiction from Widowmaker Press. And now, let's have a listen. The great beyond is white. Millions of snowflakes swirl, hiding my memorized world under a pale, bright blanket. Lost in losing warmth, I found shelter beneath the branches of an unfamiliar oak. It wasn't much, but at least it partially blocked the punishing snow. The whiteout came out of nowhere. Within minutes, the backwoods I'd learned by heart were erased. Both my sense of direction and my pocket gizmos failed me. Alone and with no clear way home, walking blind could be fatal. A steep cliff loomed less than a quarter mile from my back door, dropping off hundreds of feet toward bare boulders. Picturing myself stepping out and twirling toward certain death, straying put seemed best. Storms that came on fast could leave just as quickly, I reasoned. If I could, just wait it out. I'd be fine. As I hunched down and rubbed my arms for warmth, someone's shadow came forth through the blizzard, a figure as fair as the storm around her. At first I thought it was Sabrina, my wife. The figure moved just like her. This, though, was different. Splinterette's fingers were long and tapered into sharp, needle-like tips. That was how I came to name her. 
Her large, dark eyes blinked, meeting my gaze. I must have died, I thought, for that was the only explanation for what could only be hallucination. There was no way I was really seeing what I was seeing. Impossible. Her body changed with each step, the outside darkening, her face formed, her features smoothed and polished, until she glistened. Her eyes were alive, reflecting a shade of winter-themed light blue. I'd gotten lost, and possibly lost, in this age of smartphones with maps of the world being so built up and over-deployed. All it took was a pure whiteout of a storm to become a castaway. The phone lost service. I'd walked around aimlessly looking for a signal, but had gotten myself deeper in trouble. With no roads, how would it have guided me anyway? At the very least, I'd reasoned, I'd be able to make a call. Home. Sabrina. At least she'd be able to find me, or find someone who could. To top it off, I'd only been a few dozen steps from my own backyard when the storm had hit. I'd known it was coming, and I had ventured out to see if I could grab some firewood. An old-fashioned romantic notion had turned out to be a tremendous mistake. What else could I do other than freeze and wait for the storm to lighten up? Usually I could see my place for miles, no matter where I ventured inside the Calistoga woods. At that moment, all I saw was blinding white, anything more than a few yards away. My nose felt like it might break off at any moment. The only thing I could smell was the icy smell, that sharp, cutting scent specific to the freezing snow. Very strange. I'd rested down by a tree. I'd cleared away the snow and put a few of the small logs on the ground to keep my hind warm. My eyes were shut for several minutes when Splinterette came forth. Now you know how and why I felt like I was hallucinating. Maybe I'd slept and the image formed strictly from my imagination, this thing coming towards me. And I couldn't move. I was frozen in thought and movement. There I was, all alone. Or so I thought. Strange as it sounds, her figure was curved and feminine, reminiscent of a woman, but Splinterent was also tree-like, with her limbs splitting off like branches. I wondered if I should get up and run away from her. Maybe there were sinister intentions behind Splinterent's coming to investigate me. Maybe she smelled blood. Maybe she sensed my death was imminent and had come to feed. She moved faster than I thought possible, her arms outstretched above her. The branches that made her arms shook slightly in the wind. There were smaller sub-branches, too, just like a real live tree. Only she was moving and alive in a way sedentary trees were not. She moved with a grace I couldn't quite comprehend. It reminded me of a spider. It was off-putting, while, at the same time, I couldn't keep my eyes off her. She was transfixing, mesmerizing, captivating... And absolutely horrifying, because every part of me knew, just knew, she meant me harm. Splinteret bent down in front of me, her light blue eyes examined me, and I at once felt like an animal in a zoo, or the subject of an alien autopsy. Her arms stretched outwards, the branch-like limbs making stuttering sounds in the air as puffs of snow shook off. The storm had gotten worse. For a moment she stood. She turned her head and back to me, but still looked over her shoulder at me. She was ready. She seemed to be calling for me to follow her into the cold and snow. I couldn't move. Maybe it was just my mind that was frozen, but my body wouldn't budge from where I sat at the base of the tree, even though I tried my best to will myself up. Splinteret blinked several times. It was like she knew that I was stuck. She came back to me then, her body moving and arriving in front of me in a blink. The snow blew around her aquiline face. It made me wish to fall upwards into the snow and vanish into the whiteness. My fear had subsided, and a calm serenity filled my soul. Splinterette curled her arms and reached toward me, going first for my underarms. The ends of her branch-like arms slipped over my shoulders and curved round back, under my armpits, and lifted. I saw the sharp, needle-like tips. Splinterette's branch tips slithered up my arm like a boa constrictor, crushing prey, although her touch was anything but harmful. At least at first she felt warm, slick, and strong. I was reassured in that moment. She was there to take care of me and to shelter me, an angel made from trees come to life in the snow. Her tips reached my wrists. When they made it to the flesh under my gloves, they followed the same direction as my veins. My flesh split, and for a moment, all I saw were my own pale insides. Two snowflakes fell, and instantly dissolved on the hot, exposed flesh. 
The blood seeped in, filling the wound like salt water, filling a trench dug deep on a beach. The blood overflowed, trickling over my wrists at first until it poured, much too terribly fast. Her hands, or branches, then wrapped inside mine, and I grabbed them like handles. Splinteret lift me up, and I immediately felt her strength. She held me like an infant. I curled up in her arms. I looked up and saw her face and the ring of white sky overhead, snow falling quickly and seemingly from nothingness. The cold had known me, although the slices to my wrist burned. I couldn't tell if I was still bleeding. I wondered, how deep are the cuts? Would I need stitches? I could die. Had she known that she had hurt me? Could she have realized just how much pain she'd caused me? How close to death I might actually be? Our house became visible. Just some small details. The chimney, its gray bricks, the shutters, reddish-brown. Glimpses. My shelter in the storm. My nose felt clocked. My head hurt. The temples pulsed, and there was an aching pressure where the back of my head met my neck. My stomach hurt badly, too. That all paled in comparison to my chest, which hurt worse than anything else I'd ever felt in my life. I figured it out. I must have been losing a lot of blood. We arrived at the back door. Splinteret knew where I lived, somehow. I had a vision of her looking in on. Perhaps maybe she was what I said, so I looked into the darkness and felt that special pull that made my hair raise and my belly feel hollow. She watched me, my dark angel, my savior from doom, my splinteret. The back door took only the slightest touch to open. How could the storm not have opened it? I really left it unlocked? Yes, I thought I'd go outside for just a few moments. Our backyard was completely fenced in, except where it met Calistoga Forest. I'd been secure in thinking it had been safe to leave the back door unlocked. The snow blowing around us, we passed the wooden shoe rack and I noticed Sabrina's shoes were gone. Where did she go in the snow? My heart sank. She must have been out looking for me in the storm when I hadn't come back. Picturing her out in the storm, lost like I had been, scared me to my core. Then I looked to Splinteret, initially to try and tell her, but as soon as I did, I once again fell silent. My mouth wouldn't form the words. She had some unnatural spell on me. We approached the stairs that led up towards the bedroom. Splinteret whispered to me, saying, Recover, and carried me in her arms. She spoke more, but it was as if I were underwater, even though I couldn't make out her words, I somehow knew that she was telling me. I'd need bandages for the wounds and Tylenol for the pain. Would she be able to help? How could I do these things myself? Would I soon die? I looked at the paintings while we made our way up. Scenes of the world me and Sabrina had collected. Near the top, one was missing. Sabrina's favorite, the two foxes drinking from a river. She always said that they were she and I. All that was left was a rectangular outline of old dust. We turned the corner, and Splinteret lifted my head to make it through the doorway. I felt drunk and incapacitated, and completely controlled by her every movement. There was something wrong. More things were out of place. Sabrina's nightstand was empty. Not even her beloved knock-off Tiffany lamp was there. Had someone broken in and robbed us? Had she been kidnapped? Where had she gone? I didn't see any signs of a struggle, no blood, no resistance. Splinteret put a branch to her lips, and I somehow felt her hushing my thoughts. She placed me on the bed, and as I fell gently on my back, I remembered everything. Sabrina yelling when I found the picture on her phone, wearing her favorite white lacy top I'd given her for her birthday, her favorite jeans and ankle boots. My shoes slipped off and fell to the floor. Only a traitor would look on my phone and through my pictures, she'd said. My shirt opened, a cut from Splitterent's branches did the job, while cutting me underneath, the tingling warmth of her incision filled me. We can work it out. I know we can. True love will prevail, I'd begged. More cuts as Splinteret cut through my clothes. She was on top of me, her pure, dark form caressing me. I held her sap on my skin, streaming from open holes where her branches connected. So sticky, and it soon hardened and pulled my skin, making it raw. True love. Pure as a new virgin landscape outside. My eyes caught a glimpse outside our window to look at Calistoga Woods, past our backyard where a trail of red was visible. Bright red. My blood, tracked towards our back door. 
Our back door? Was it ours anymore? Who is he? It doesn't matter. Splinterette's arms and legs cut me. Her tips were inside of me, like little fingers, like little fiery worms, like prodding needles. The new pain took away the old pain. I could feel the hurt instead of just thinking. The release made me hungrier. More, more, touch me more. I had to know it's her name. A whisper in my ear as she bent down. Splinterette. And that's how I knew who she was. I said her name to make her real, so I wouldn't forget. Splinterette, Splinterette, Splinterette. One of her branches broke inside me. I knew then that she was of the forest, of the trees, of being inside was doing to her what being outside had done to me. I heard a knock downstairs. Then someone called my name. Who could it be? Sabrina? Had she come home after all? Maybe the storm had brought her back and somehow brought her to her senses. Come home, my darling. I am home. Splinterette's branches broke. Her face started to lose its life. Her hands and her body trembled. There were cuts all over me. My wrists, my stomach, my chest, all crossed with long, ripped marks. Blood stained everywhere. More knocking. Someone calling. Hello. Called my name. Was it a man or a woman? I couldn't tell. Splinterette. I called her name, but she seemed lost to me. The blue light seen in her eyes went out. Her body crumbled, its pieces crashing around me. Her head was the last to fall, and it did, directly on my chest. I couldn't believe it. She was gone, so quickly, and with such little fanfare. There were pieces of her around me. I held on to the two of her branches, one in each hand. The tips of her roots were pointed, sharp, and glistened with some sort of moisture. Her head on my chest looked just like any other piece of wood, broken or fallen from a tree, the once refined and exquisite features had turned rough and bumpy, undistinguished. Footsteps. Someone came up my stairs. Hello? Was it my Sabrina? No, it was a man's voice. I saw him poke his head around the corner. It couldn't have looked good. Not one bit. I held two sharp sticks and bled heavily from several places around my body, my wrists, my stomach, and my chest. You okay? The man said. I saw frost in his beard. There was so much blood outside. He paused, looked me over, and said, Oh, my God. I did not wake in the hospital or startle from a dream in an asylum, all with a hurried gasp like you see in the movies. Instead, I woke slowly and realized I was stuck inside the prison of my own hell, created out of the home I'd shared with Sabrina. Memories were my keepers. So many memories. Gone. All that mattered was lost. All is now empty. Sabrina's gone. Splinterette is gone, too. My new friend, Phil, a neighbor from two houses away, looks after me. He binds my wounds, cleans my bed, and makes sure my trying something so stupid is never going to cross my mind again. That's what he says, at least. I do my best to make him believe. Of course, I agree, because soon spring will come. New snow erase the trail of blood. Then the spring rain will wash away any final clues. Summer will bake the ground, and new grass will grow. Leaves will once again turn, and the air will chill. Next winter, I will venture into the snowfield once again, calling, searching, and finding my splinterette. When I do, I'll hold her hand, and together we'll walk into the pale of the Calistoga woods and disappear into the great white nothing. That was John Palisano's Splinterette, as read by me. I picked the story out of the Stokers to narrate myself. I hope you don't mind, John. Link to my personal page will be in the show notes, but otherwise, let's move on. Next up will be Sidney Lee. Shauna L. Bernard, also known as Sidney Lee, is a Bram Stoker-nominated writer, editor, and native of the North Shore. Her poetry, prose, and photography has appeared in numerous anthologies, magazines, local art exhibits, and on bar napkins across the country. She currently works for Villipede Publications and as the chief editor for Eldrick Press's novel division. Tonight's story from Sidney Lee is Baby's Breath, which was originally published in Bugs, Tales That Slither, Creep, and Crawl, published by Great Old Ones Publishing. Now let's give it a listen. Mm -hmm. 
It wasn't because I didn't love my child. I did. But while my grief was buried under guilt and self-loathing, his father wore it like a shroud. He felt that if it had been him all along, if he had been the one charged with this blessing, things would have turned out differently. So he may not realize it now, but when I sew the final stitch on this makeshift womb, the weight of his stillborn son inside him will counter the void our child's death left. And when he wakes, the guilt will be his. Nine months earlier. I came home late from my shift at the hospital and found Ben waiting for me in the tub, a bottle of champagne chilling in the sink and a vase of fresh-cut blood-red roses on the windowsill. A bouquet of baby's breath surrounded the fragrant buds, their tiny white petals sprouting from intricate branches. On one of the roses, an aphid the size of a grain of sand nestled between a thorn and the verdant stem. Why don't you get out of those scrubs and scrub this? Ben smiled and pointed to his manhood beneath the foamy bubbles. What's all this for? I poured a glass of champagne and slipped out of my uniform. Well, I know you put in a long week with all those extra shifts and figured you could use a little R&R. I slid into the warm water and he guided me onto his lap. He was already hard. You mean you could use a good fuck? Before I could even get my footing, he was inside me. We rocked back and forth, sliding into each other with ease in the warm water, until we began thrusting so hard it splashed over the side of the tub. We laughed, and he carried me into the bedroom, still dripping wet, where we made love again and again, until falling asleep with him still inside me. Things were good then. I didn't have much of a social life, but I didn't need one. Ben was my world. We worked, ate, made love, slept, and dreamed. We talked about our future, about maybe having a family someday, about all the things we wanted to do first. It was all I needed. Six months earlier. It didn't take long for me to figure out that the nausea and fatigue meant I was pregnant. As an obstetrics nurse, I recognized the signs pretty easily. It didn't take me long to recognize the other signs either. The neglect of me, of our time together. He was hardly ever home. We had only been married for a year. Perhaps it was too soon for the honeymoon phase to be over. Admittedly, my own fears were my worst enemy. I was paranoid about everything. I was afraid Ben was not happy about the idea of our family growing. I worried what others would think of me if they knew Ben and I had not planned for this. Ben said we needed two incomes. And what if they replaced me at work? I had only been at St. Basil's for a short time. The concern of others regarding my sudden change in mood came across as accusatory, not genuine. I started to pick at my skin, bite my nails, and suspect I might be losing Ben. Why don't you just get out of the house? he asked. All those women at work and you have nowhere to go? No one to meet for lunch or a movie? Don't you ladies like to shop? I sat in his lap and knew immediately that things were not the same. 
Why don't we make love? I traced the slope of his neck with a finger and put my lips to his skin. He recoiled slightly, enough for me to feel it was something he tried not to do. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. But couldn't help. His veins strained against his skin, small snakes pulsing and weaving under hot flesh. He pushed out a breath and stood, forcing me off his lap. Look, I think maybe we should talk, okay? I said, starting back towards him. What do you want to talk about? You can tell me anything, Ben. Just talk to me. He grabbed his coat off the back of the chair. You know what? I think we're better off not talking about this, Diane. I feel like maybe we just need some time apart. Apart? We're always apart, Ben. We should be spending more time together. That's the problem, Diane. I'm feeling a little... smothered. I just think you should be doing other things. You never spend any time with anyone else. It's just not healthy. With that, he walked out the door. I pressed my back to the wall and slid down to the floor. My belly bulged slightly as my legs stretched out before me. I studied my hands and the raw, tender skin on my fingertips. I disgusted myself. So surely I disgusted him. I knew there was a very good possibility he was going out for more than just space. There were plenty of women who would find Ben as charming as I did. He could slip off his ring and brood at a bar long enough to attract the sympathetic ear, then ass, of some young slut. And all he had to do was tell me that it wasn't healthy for us to spend all of our time together. I let my neck fall back and looked up to the ceiling. I counted the cracks. Another new habit I had picked up to deal with the growing tension. Somewhere, between eleven and twelve, I noticed a single spider. Legs spindling to begin its descent down into the air above me. I watched its legs rubbing and grinding and thought of how Ben's might look doing the same against the groin of some bitch in the sweaty grime of a bar's restroom. He'd come home and say he had been out alone, clearing his head, but I knew he was a liar. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to... I cupped my hand, and the spider landed hesitantly in the folds of my palm.
three months earlier. I really don't want to do this again, Diane. Of course he didn't. Why would he want to be confronted with the truth? It etched venomous legs in the corner of his eyes and wavered in ribbons on his brow like tiny worms. Truth worms. I know you're lying, Ben. I gestured towards his lipstick-stained collar. Besides, I can smell her from here. All the things they tell you about being pregnant. The glow. The natural beauty of a woman's body while with child. None of that happened to me. I was bloated, tired, useless, worn out, and it showed. I wouldn't have wanted to fuck me either. You said you didn't have to go away this month, Ben. You said you... I don't care what I said. He stormed into the bedroom and rifled through the closet for his suitcase. He threw it on the bed and began haphazardly tossing clothes into it. You're leaving now? You just got home. Look, Diane. He sat on the edge of the bed and put his head in his hands. This isn't working out. We're not getting along. This pregnancy has put a lot of stress on our relationship. You don't need me to tell you that. I mean, just look at us. Look at you. I turned and was affronted by the reflection staring back at me in the full-length mirror, which hung on the back of the door. I hardly recognized myself. Ben, please! I sat down beside him and placed my hand on his as tenderly as I could. Do you still love me? He sighed and picked up my hand inspecting the repulsive nubs that had replaced long, healthy, painted nails. Can't you get worms or something from biting your nails like that? You should know better. You're a nurse. That stuff should gross you out. He looked at my face, at the dark circles under my eyes, at the premature wrinkles and puffiness from water retention and lack of sleep. He looked at my unwashed hair, at the empty holes in my ears where I used to wear a small pair of diamonds he had given me one year for Valentine's Day. He sighed. I do love you, Diane, I do. But this? He gestured to it all, to me, to my complete and utter lack of care for my body and self-respect. It just doesn't bode well for either of us. I mean... I just don't know how to help you get out of this, this state you're in. As he spoke, I mindfully pulled my sleeves down to cover the holes in my skin I had gouged with pins to get at the invisible bugs. He probably wouldn't understand that either. Look, Diane, I could hear that he softened. I'm going away on this trip, and when I come home, I want to see you in much better shape. And I don't mean it like that, he laughed, pointing at my pregnant belly. But please, take care of yourself. Get out with friends. Go back into work just to keep in contact with the people there. I'm very worried that you've isolated yourself completely, and that it will only get worse, not better. Okay, I quickly lied. I'll do that. You know, it's actually a great idea. I can have Anne and Sandy go help me pick out some things for the baby. You know, not too much, just a few essentials. It'll be fun. I forced a smile. That's my girl, Ben said, and put an arm around me. I know this pregnancy has put a wrench in things for us, and I won't lie. It was very unexpected, but I'm going to try to do my best to make it work for us, Diane. I promise I'll try. Thank you. I held him close, and my stomach pressed against his. You know, I'm starting to think it may not be all that bad to have a little one running around here some day. Ben Jr., he smiled, and I could tell then that he meant it. 
or little Diane, I teased. When will you be finding out the sex, anyway? When's your next appointment? Oh, sometime next week. I lied again, and I thought maybe it could be a surprise. Well, I'll leave you some money for anything you might need while I'm away, but you're still getting checks from work, right? I nodded. Another lie. This was getting easy. But I knew it would somehow all work out for the best in the end. Okay, I'll stay home tonight and leave in the morning. Let's just get some rest and both wake up tomorrow with a fresh perspective. That night, as we lay in bed, I watched him sleep. I prayed he would love me for bringing this child into our lives. I prayed, and I quietly rubbed at the itch coming from somewhere under my skin. One month earlier. I'm not an idiot, Ben. I can hear her. I know she's there with you. I switched the receiver into my other hand so I could swat the flies away that had gathered around the trash can. Now's not the time, Diane. I know your due date is coming up, but don't take it out on me. You, of all people, should understand that this is a very emotional time for women, and I think you're spending too much time worrying about what I'm doing rather than how happy the baby is going to be coming into this world with a mother in your condition. My condition? I grimaced at a surge of pain that ran around my lower back and wondered if that was what he meant. Diane, he whispered, do you not realize how bad things have gotten? The last time I came home, I could barely stand it for the ten minutes I was there. It's a disgrace. After the baby is born, we're going to need some help. I'll call my mother, and maybe she can fly in from Washington. She won't be happy when I spring this on her, but she's the only family we have between the two of us. Family? That's a funny word. Diane, believe it or not, I do want this child. The only reason I'm not there is because you make it impossible for me to stay. But I'm very worried about the baby, since you clearly aren't taking care of yourself. And if anything happens, Ben, you can't possibly blame me for this. It took two of us to, for Christ's sake, Diane. He pushed through his clenched teeth. I don't blame you for getting pregnant. I blame you for dealing with it the way you have. Well, maybe I should have gone off and fucked someone else instead. Would that have been a better way of dealing with it? I placed the phone back in the cradle and headed for the bathroom. A surge of wetness spread between my legs and left a small puddle at my feet. It was time. Before I quit my job at the hospital, I grabbed everything I knew I would need for the delivery. Mind you, the environment was not exactly sterile, but those details mattered less and less to me these days. No one needed to know what they were for. The vase still stood on the windowsill where Ben had placed it that day. The roses were completely wilted, Necks, once held high, now hung in shame with dark, brittle petals. What was once baby's breath now lay in a pile of black dust repose around the porcelain base. Tiny fleas and aphids swam in the rancid rim of filth and spun about the rotted mass of stems and leaves inside. They had also found their way to the mucus plug I had lost into the toilet the night before, and swarmed around it like a life vessel. I ran the water so it filled the tub halfway, and braced myself for another contraction. When everything I needed was on a towel beside the tub, I climbed in and waited for my baby to be born. He looked a lot like Ben, but I could see myself in certain features, too. 
He didn't have much hair, but what little he did rose and peaked in one small tuft close to the front of his head, and was the same shade of auburn mine had been as a child. I swaddled him tightly in blankets as clean as I could find, and laid him on the bed where he had been conceived. He was quiet, and I lay beside him, watching him sleep soundly until finally I drifted off too. Hello? Diane, it's me. Where have you been? I've been calling for days. What's going on? I called the hospital and they said they hadn't seen you. What's... Shh, I whispered. He's sleeping. What? Oh, my God. He's here? He? He? It's a boy? Yes, Ben, you have a son. But I don't understand. When? Where? That's not important now, Ben. You sound funny. Are you all right? Of course I'm all right, Ben. I'm lying in bed beside our baby boy. But how did this all happen? The hospital said, Ben, please. What difference does it make? He's here. That's all that matters now. Well, shit. I mean, I just can't. What's he like? Does he look like me? I rolled over and peered at the features on the tiny face beside me. Why don't you just come and see for yourself? Well, of course I will. I mean, I... He lowered his voice to a whisper. I'll have to catch a flight back this week, and I can't stay long. I'm in the development phase with this new client in Denver, and we're doing an international product review, so I'll have to... Don't worry about it, Ben. Just come home. I went into the bathroom and sat on the ledge of the tub. The water was dark, murky, filled with all the life and love I could afford by giving it freely from my body. Tiny eggs floated on the fleshy bits and bloody masses, and I smiled to see the larvae erupting from my placenta as it rolled to the surface and dipped back down. The flies had reproduced so quickly that they covered the walls in small patches, like living artwork. And the spiders had done so as well, stringing webs strategically in every corner of the room. It was somewhere that a complete circle of life and death had taken place, and it all began with me. Ben had helped too, of course. He would be arriving shortly and I would share with him all the new life I had created in his absence. The Present The first blow didn't knock him out completely, but I put all I had into the second one, and he collapsed in a heap by the door. I placed the cast-iron pan back on the stove and rolled Ben over a few times until his whole body was on top of the shower curtain. My loins still burned from the delivery, and for every move I made, a stinging ache threaded through the muscles in my body, like an electrical current. But the expression on Ben's face in the moments after I opened the door made it all worthwhile. I went in and checked on the baby, delicately fingered the small, writhing creatures, that teemed in the moist lobes of his ears and fed on the remainder of the umbilical cord, something that had so safely and securely bound us together where it lay against the blackening skin of his belly. I changed the sheet beneath him, which bore a dark green outline of his body. I dabbed away the fluid that came from his mouth and nose and carried him to his father. When Ben woke, the look he wore when I opened the door was gone. It vanished as though it had never existed, and was replaced by pure and utter fear. The pain was likely muted, since the anesthesia took its time wearing off, but he was immediately aware of the fact that he was restrained, 
and his whole body thrust against it in fierce surges until his eyes finally found mine. The leather recliner rocked a bit as he resisted, but the duct tape didn't budge. Di-oh, he groaned, feeling the pull in his stomach as he spoke. Di-Diane, dear God, what the fuck have you done? And what is that smell? Hello, Ben, I smiled. It's so good to have you home. Jesus, Jesus Christ, Diane, what the fuck is going on? What, what the fuck happened here? His eyes lolled about frantically, shifting from the moving murals on the walls to me, taking a survey of his own body taped firmly to the chair and looking around for a sign of the baby. Tell me what the fuck is going on here, Diane. Where is our son? What have you done? Tell me, goddammit. Ben, Ben, calm down. There's no sense getting yourself all worked up into such a state. It's not good to get so worked up in your condition. My, my what? What do you mean, my condition? What the hell have you done? He looked down at his hospital Johnny for a long time, until it registered that he was even wearing one, let alone why. At the same time, a swarm of flies began buzzing around the bloodstains on his cotton gown. Diane, he cried, my God, Diane, what have you done? Tears erupted from the corners of his eyes, and for a moment I almost felt badly. Please let me go, Diane. Let me out of here and tell me what you've done. You should have been here, Ben, with me, with us, not with her. How could you do that to me, Ben? How could you do that to us? Where is my son, Diane? Where is my son? He screamed, but trailed off in volume as the force of it strained the tender wound on his abdomen. I want to know right now. I demand to know what you did to me, Diane, In where in God's name is my son. He looked around the room again, and wretched when he saw a squirming, twitching labyrinth of spiders, and their prey, strung behind an end table. I'll always love you for giving me life, Ben. You gave me a child, and I'll never forget that. But I know you blame me for what happened, and that just isn't fair. You're the one who chose to leave, Ben. You're the one who walked away. He wept openly now. What do you mean, blame you for what happened? He moaned and shook his head back and forth. What happened, Diane? Oh, God, oh, God, what happened to my son? It isn't fair, Ben. It isn't right. You don't know what it was like for me, carrying the weight of his life around with me all that time, and now to bear the weight of his death. At those words, Ben's whole body sank and heaved in uncontrollable sobs. I wanted you to know what it felt like, Ben. How heavy that weight is. It's not only mine to bear. What are you talking about, Diane? What have you done to me? He looked down at his abdomen again and shifted slightly to try to decipher what the bandages were for. What did you do to me? He screamed, and as he did, the first maggot fell from the corner of his mouth. That was Sidney Lee's Baby's Breath, as read to us by Josie Babin. We've heard quite a bit from Josie, and I'm happy that this one made it to Josie. 
By day, Josie is a biologist, a happy little cog in the grand machine known as medical research. When not at work or enjoying the great outdoors of San Diego, she can be found at home with her three loving companions, two feline and one human. She records in a tiny bedroom library surrounded by literature and scientific works, as well as a few video game boxes. Thank you, Josie. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Join us again next week for the winners of the Stoker Award here on Tales to Terrify. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 